hey, awesome person. Yes, that's right. I'm talking to you because you listen to the Cracked Podcast and the folks at Squarespace know that means you have a wide range of interests. You think about a lot of cool things and you should show that off with your own unique personal website with its own domain and everything. Showcase your work, blog or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks with a website that has nothing to install, patch or upgrade ever. It just works. So head to squarespace.com cracked for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Brought to you by the all-new season of the FXX animated comedy Archer Danger Island, premiering Wednesday, April 25th at 10 p.m. on FXX. Season 9 centers on the semi-functioning alcoholic seaplane pilot, Sterling Archer, as he navigates the mysterious and deadly world of Danger Island, located on the lush South Pacific island of Miti Motu in 1939. Along with his trusty co-pilot Pam, he must navigate quicksand, cannibals, super-intelligent monkeys, poison darts, and pirates, amongst other things. Watch the all-new season of Archer Danger Island, Wednesdays at 10, starting April 25th on FXX. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I am also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also bringing you right into this one, because Jason Pargin, who writes for Cracked as David Wong, is on the hotline. Today's show is all about pop culture propaganda that will look real weird in the future, uh, perhaps even the near future. And I think we set it up real clear up top, so I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's get to it. Please sit back or turn down the volume on the war movie you're watching that the Pentagon might have line edited the script of. We'll talk about that later. Either way, enjoy this episode of the Cracked Podcast with Cracked's own Jason Pargin. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. We uh, are talking about something you suggested, which is a lot of fun. It's pop culture propaganda that the future will think is really creepy which is something that has kind of always been baked in entertainment. It's just hard to notice as it's happening in the entertainment of your own time, I think. And we will notice. Yeah, and it's one of those things. Basically, these are movies and, I guess, TV shows that we think will not age well, but, yeah. but not because, like, the star turned out to be a sex predator. This is the other reason they want. It's because the themes that we kind of just are invisible to us now, we predict will be monstrous in the the future. Yeah, yeah. It's stuff that down the line will be like, how was that what this entire movie was about? Or how was this whole video game predicated on this thing we've moved way past very quickly? Yeah, and obviously this is with the assumption that society will get better in the future. <laughs> I mean, it's, we, we, you don't need to say like in the comments, we, we fully realize that it's very possible that a hundred years from now, because, you know, like the world may have gone totally off the rails and they'll be like, wow. And those star Wars movies, they act like it's a bad thing to choke someone with your telepathic powers. <laughs> when here in the year 2118, that is how all disputes are resolved. It is good. We're not going that direction. We're, the whole idea is that things will progress in some way that in the same way they have been progressing, right? Where we, that we're better at prejudice than we are now. Yeah, the white nationalists will lose and the economy will 
make us all a little bit better off than we are now at least. Things will generally be at a steady upward and a you know conservative level of that. You'd picked out some examples of you know past movies that this has already happened with because I think that's really insightful that we can look to those examples as a way to figure out the future ones. Uh, yeah, and it you know it doesn't even matter how far you go back. Like even watching you know you can watch stand up comedy from the eighties and hear the gay jokes like in Eddie Murphy's Raw, or you can watch comedies from seven or eight years ago and see the trans jokes in there that now just look awful. And you go further back than that. And then you get, you know, going back decades, you get the whole Western genre, which was basically now it's the zombie genre. Like uh, people don't realize like the walking dead is a Western, the the whole empty landscape. That's just the frontier. And all they did was they replaced the engines with, zombies but the the indians used to play the exact same role and those old shows and those old movies were basically there were these inhuman savages who would come along and just act as this destructive force that had to be gunned down and escaped and they never had like their own motivation or reason for doing what they were doing so when we talk about propaganda we don't even mean that they were doing it on purpose like the government didn't make john wayne film those movies as like you know, revisionist history. It's just, that's what was cool. And storytelling always needs easy villains. Right. So this propaganda, it still has the same effect. It's just more that they're, it's revealing what was considered normal at the time. Right. When we say the word propaganda, I think one thing that jumps to people's mind is like, Oh, the, the totalitarian government funded, like, posters of a guy in front of a flag to like, but that's not the thing we're talking about for the vast, most part movies that were just latching onto something that was in the wider culture and blowing it out and satisfying it for profit. Like in, in American culture, the only really big examples of movie propaganda that I could think of was the Hayes code in the twenties through the forties, like kind of explicitly said what values could be on screen from the 80s through recent times, the military will trade access to military equipment for the military getting to edit the script, which started mainly with Top Gun in the mid-80s. But beyond that, most of what we're talking about is, like you say, with Westerns, it's something that people in America just felt that like Indians could be a prop that the heroes kill. Or else the idea of like a white man working with an Indian was so novel you could hang something like the Lone Ranger on that entire premise. Like, can you believe these two are a team? Amazing. When that's not that amazing, they're both people. And I don't think that people realize when you see clips from old hilarious anti-drug movies or whatever from the, I don't know, the 30s or the 40s or the 50s, and the whole plot is like this young white girl takes a puff off of a joint (laughs) <laughs> and now she's a prostitute. Like, like now she's on the streets having to sell her body for the next hit. Like a lot of that stuff was not what you're seeing. Those weren't government PSAs. There were some like that, but a lot of it was just like exploitation trash because they knew middle America was scared to death of drugs. And they knew that this was an easy plot point and the whole, your white daughter could wind up on the streets among those people, if she does the wrong substance, like they knew that was easy shock value and it was salacious and that they could sell tickets. So 
you had you did have the PSAs that are actual propaganda from the government, but lots of the anti-marijuana, like the scaremongering, didn't come from there. It came from people trying to make money. That's always yeah. how it is. That one's a extra perfect example of how much stuff has moved because now we look at that in the future. Not only does it seem silly to us, but like I went on Twitter today when we're recording this and there's a story about John Boehner, the former Republican Speaker of the House, is now working with a cannabis lobbying group. He tweeted about it like, I think it can help our veterans. I think it can like be good medical care for people. We should reevaluate it. And that's the last person you would think of in that PSA era having anything to do with this magic herb that ruins your life in one second. Well, it's it's just a good thing that they were able to take the incredibly dangerous version of marijuana that was apparently out there in the 1920s <laughs> yeah. and genetically breed a safe version of it because, you know, somehow all of our friends are smoking it and, have, you know, have not had to sell themselves in the street. When, you know, now like the main, the main bad thing that can happen to you is you can still get arrested in some cases, but that's, that's a great example. And I think that, you know, if you go back and even look at uh, like eighties crime movies, like RoboCop, you know, the central sin that's being committed by the main bad guys is they're producing drugs, cocaine or some sort of future drug. And there's a you know, scene where Robocop walks into the factory where they're making the drug and he just shoots everybody. Like all those people on the assembly line making the drug, like they all deserve to die. Because <laughs> they're <laughs> they're poisoning our children. And and like that's as it's easy to forget how conformist Hollywood is. We constantly talk about uh, like Hollywood being the liberal elite you know, or the very progressive, it's really not, uh, you know, Hollywood is as pro war and in the actual movies, I'm not talking about what the actors do, like who they, they donate money to on their own time. I'm talking about the actual movies. They are as pro war, anti-crime, like pro, like a very simplistic version idea of how you beat crime specifically by, by shooting the bad guy off of like the roof of a building. <laughs> like it, there are Hollywood does more to like maintain certain ideas than the church does. I think because they can dress yeah. things up and make them sexy in a way that almost nothing else can. And by God in the eighties, it was sexy and cool to shoot drug dealers. Yeah, mainly because they were putting all of the apparatus and literal industry of Hollywood behind making that look neat because also people would buy tickets to it. They were like, well, I'm in, let's go. And that's the whole thing is that you don't make as much money by like challenging people's values, right? Like ultimately yeah. you kind of are taking the things they already think are cool and just making them much, much cooler. So if you're in a country that is racist or whatever, there's lots of subtle ways to play on that. And it doesn't have to be a guy looking at the camera and saying, white people are better. It, <laughs> it just it just has to be like Charles Bronson in the Death Wish sequels. Like, I'm going to clean up this neighborhood, and we all know there's literally only one way to do it. 
by shooting all of the thieves in the back while they're trying to run from me. <laughs> a, a middle-aged, upstanding white man with a giant gun <laughs> is the only thing that can fix this problem. There, there, is, there is no other way to stop these people from stealing things to sell them for, for drug money. There's no other way to attack that problem. They must be shot. I feel like that leads into a, a couple of things that we've noticed have continued in modern movies, but especially been uh, sort of revamped because one thing we've been emailing and writing each other about is vigilanteism. And you picked it out as now it's particularly a superhero thing because almost every movie is about superheroes now. We're weirdly obsessed with it. I don't know why exactly we need to see Batman go and attack people by himself, even though... Our site and many other outlets have covered the ways that Bruce Wayne is not actually ultimately helpful. Like Bruce Wayne, the billionaire, could enact a lot more social change and help a lot more people. But all we want to see is Batman's fists. And yeah, to the point where one of the most famous scenes in The Dark Knight is Batman beating the crap out of a SWAT team that is there yeah. to do the same thing he's there to do. They're there to help to apprehend the Joker, but it's like... No, you're going to do it wrong. So he beats them into unconsciousness and then suspends them from a cable high above the street out, outside of the skyscraper. Because no, I, I, Batman, who is not answerable to any power whatsoever, there is no process for filing a complaint against me. There's no oversight for Batman. I'm the one who needs to handle this. And of course, we, the audience, are rooting for him to do that. It's like, no, the, the, the police, the government, the, the actual institutions are going to fail us. It takes this billionaire to solve the problem. And <laughs> Iron Man 2, they actually have that conversation. They have these hearings where Tony Stark is in talking to the government. And of course, it conveniently turns out that the government is, has been infiltrated by a cartoonishly evil organization Right. That everything he's still saying is still, oh, no, this weapon of mass destruction was paid for with my own money. Therefore, you have no right to regulate it or ask me or, or tell me how to use it. I can destroy entire militaries with this thing I have in my garage. And you have no right to say anything to me about that. And we're supposed to like he's super cool and funny and we he's handsome and we're supposed to love that. I Hope that looks weird in the future. Because <laughs> I, I think I, I, my hope is that the future will think it's weird how little faith we had in institutions to fix anything. Because the I whole so. meta narrative of Batman is that if these guys go to trial, they'll get off. So what we need to do is like beat them or, or cripple them somehow or kill them if Batman, like Batman acts like he doesn't kill people, but in reality does it constantly he makes and he has to break his own rule once every 15 minutes or so and the whole thing is well you know you can't just let these people have a lawyer you know <laughs> somebody like this you can't let him have a trial i mean who knows what would happen it's like that doesn't again that's propaganda it, it's not the dictionary definition of propaganda maybe but in terms of yeah. trying to program the viewers to think a certain way it absolutely is. Yeah, I want I want to dig into that Iron Man two example a little more because if people don't remember the movie, there are full on congressional hearings where they're like, "Tony Stark, you are wildly reckless with all kinds of technology and explosions." 
And he says, this hearing is dumb. Don't regulate me. And then leaves and runs off to his own property someplace. And you and the editorial team pointed out in a piece that like, hey, this is basically in a specific way Donald Trump, among other people. Like this is essentially uh, we're rooting for a billionaire with no regard for our laws. And there are probably tens of millions of people who don't like Donald Trump and liked Tony Stark's actions in Iron Man 2. This propaganda can be so sneaky that it can even be the opposite of what you go in believing for the most part. It's a really, really weird phenomenon. Yeah. And, and then again, this is just, we, we fully realize to the listeners, we fully realize this is just a fantasy. It, it, it appeals to people because we want yeah. to be Tony Stark. We wish we had not just his wealth, but in fact, the kind of money that would let us buy an invincible suit that would let us fly around the world. I, I absolutely, teenagers who these movies are aimed at, they don't like authority. That you know, any movie aimed at teenagers, it's about defying authority to an extent. Comedies too, right? You know, they're yeah. always vexing the principal or the teacher somehow or the grown ups. And that's you know, every one of us, you grow up, you've got people telling you what you can do and what you can't do. So of course the heroes are people who don't have that. They're people who they're either it's either a Ferris Bueller type to cite a forty year old reference <laughs> or <laughs> or it's it's some other like they the kids these days have their own version of that hero like the kid who's above it all and can outsmart the grown-ups to you know it, who who was the kid in in saved by the bell zach uh, morris yeah it, it, that's a reference that was after my time because it's merely a 30 year old reference because well, like, like the kid who played zach morris is long long dead i think now <laughs> um you know in cartoons it was bugs bunny to pick a 75-year-old reference. There's always that character who is the wisecracker who defies what the bosses are saying or what the grown-ups are saying or what the authority figures are saying. And Tony Stark is and superheroes are usually just more of that. There's always the moment where somebody tells them they can't do it and they go and do it anyway. But there should be a point in your life where you grow up and there was a point where I grew up and I watched Ferris Bueller and I start to empathize with the principal, not, not the actor who later turned out to be, I think a, a sex offender, but just in terms of, Oh, this person's just trying to do their job. Like this guy is just making a crappy salary, you know, making less money than Ferris probably is in his allowance. And there should be a point where you look and say, wait a second, if the Joker tried to take over my entire city, I would want like the national guard. I would want someone yeah. who's actually accountable for their actions after the fact to handle it. I don't want any one guy, no matter who it is to think he can tackle that problem by himself. Yeah, on a basic level, I, I feel like my politics, I would rather have like a public government approach to that kind of problem than a private one. And yet I think Wayne enterprises is awesome. It's really cool. It's just always neat in the movies. I'm glad Bruce Wayne and Lucius Fox decide what to do in a basement. Really great. Really appreciate it, which is nuts. It doesn't jibe at all if you think about it for more than like a second. Right, because they don't answer to anyone. And the thing is, I, I realize that future Marvel movies have tried to make this a central plot, but they took it from the opposite direction. That regulation would be bad, that... Like, no, this would, you know, it ultimately has to be these five or six people in a room 
on board a flying aircraft carrier deciding how the alien invasion is going to be stopped. Never mind that in real life they would constantly find themselves like accidentally killing troops who had mobilized who were not privy to the Avengers plan. So they wound up being in the wrong spot because there's no coordination, right? Like, God forbid you should let the governments of the world know where you're going to be and what weapons you're going to have with you. You know, and God forbid that like the National Guard could have showed up at the end of the Avengers in New York and mistaken the Hulk for one of the aliens and tried to start bombing him, which would have been a fairly, you know, reasonable conclusion because, you know, he's out there destroying buildings in the process of fighting the aliens. You would have thought, oh, this is just a third faction of bad guys. We also have to now fight because they have not seen the script. Like that's that's the thing. We the viewers know that Batman intends to use his tank and jet fighter for good. But if you found out that some that like Mark Zuckerberg had been building a jet fighter in his in his mansion, you wouldn't be happy about that. You would be like, well, does, where did he even learn to fly? Does he even know how to fly it? Like, even if he has good intentions, would you trust him to bomb the right location? I don't. What training does Bruce Wayne have to fly a bat-shaped fighter jet? Where did he? He never learned how to do that. The closest equivalent of these guys with some kind of oversight and some kind of training would be James Bond, because James Bond is officially a, an agent of the British government and military. He has some kind of naval rank. Like Occasionally, he's in a dress uniform for some reason. He's the closest equivalent to, oh, we've kind of trained these guys. And he still just recklessly destroys major cities. I don't know if there are any of these movies where that's enacted uh, properly or in a way that would like make sense. And every single time, his bosses disapprove of his methods, and 100% <laughs> of the time... He, at the end, they're like giving him a medal yeah. because, well, you got it done. At, you know, what matters is that you stop the doomsday plan. You know, granted, you disobeyed all of our orders and you got captured four times. But, you know, you had sex with the villain's female uh, bodyguard. But ultimately, what matters is results. And here's the most disappointing thing I have to tell the kids out there. The most important thing is actually not the results. No, boo. If you did something horribly wrong and it accidentally turned out okay, your method was still bad. And in (laughs) the long run, it won't be okay. But yet, you know, this is the same thing on shows like 24 where Jack Bauer was basically James Bond. I mean, it's the same. There's like a lot more. It was grittier in the sense that it's a lot more like overt torture instead of like subterfuge. But it's still the fact that he's incredibly lethal. He still has a ticking you know, time bomb he has to stop. And because there's a ticking bomb, he certainly can't worry about, you know, your little rules about <laughs> due process and proving that this guy's actually a part of it before you shoot him and 36 other people in the head. None of that matters, damn it, because there's a bomb that's about to go off. Like that ticking clock is what makes... Makes it so that he, again, doesn't have to answer to anybody. He can disobey direct orders. He can torture people, violate the Geneva Convention, violate every, you know, American law, international law. It doesn't matter because all that matters is stopping that bomb. Maybe those stories are eternal. Maybe a thousand years from now, people will still love that story of the rogue agent who has to go stop the thing 
I hope it's not like that. I hope in the future people will look at it and think, well, was the American government just not functional at all at that time? Like, why did this one guy <laughs> have to go to go solve the whole the whole bomb situation? Why did it? Did they only have this guy in the payroll? Why did they have to keep making him come out of retirement? Did they not employ any other any other agents? I like that so many of those guys, especially in a twenty four type thing, are the president's friend. You know, I think the future will be like, did they only elect presidents who had like commandos in their close circle of friends? That's really, really specific for the job. Also, I think our obsession with there being an agency like the Mission Impossible team where there's like an agency that's off the books. Yeah, yeah. I hope I hope they'll find that weird that we thought, man, it would be really cool if we had like a secret agency that's so secret that the citizens don't even know it exists and don't even know their tax dollars are paying for it. And also this agency has surveillance technology and computer hacking technology and face imitation technology that is borderline magic (laughs) that will (laughs) let them know anything about any person at any time. And they operate totally off the books and do not answer to anyone. Wouldn't it be great if we had someone like that out there looking out for us at all times? Yeah. A secret police, (laughs) so to speak. Right. (laughs) That could move among us and, and find out anything they needed to know to keep us safe. No. See, that's actually really occurred in places, and it's a nightmare. Right. right. Well, ours wouldn't have an Eastern European or Russian name, right? It would be a totally different name, so it would be fine. It would be totally great. And they would all be (laughs) handsome, and they would all be like very sexy and witty, and they would be like Tom Cruise and Jeremy Renner. And here's the key. At heart, they would be good people. Oh, so, so it's great. see, that's how we know they wouldn't abuse their face imitating technology <laughs> or their their ability to hack any phone in the world as you see them do. Or like they've got basically magical ability to touch a phone and extract any information from it. They will only use that to fight evil. So of course they don't need oversight. They, <laughs> as long as you have good people doing it, that's all that matters. I hope the future will laugh at that idea. I am not totally confident they will. Yeah. I try to be optimistic. Well, also, you you bring up an interesting thing before, too, with the idea that maybe this, like, vigilante hero or soul hero is very baked into culture, very baked into what works as a narrative. Maybe we've had that forever. But this surveillance state thing is relatively recent in fiction, I think, because just the technology didn't really exist for it. But this kind of thing of a surveillance state is... Pretty post 9-11, not just because of that being a time when we instituted it, but also we just didn't have as much tech to do it. You don't start seeing it in stuff like uh, like The Dark Knight where Batman hacks everyone's cell phones and we're fine with it. You don't see it until recently, and we love it. Well, if someone's going to start yelling at us that Mission Impossible was a reboot of a 1960s TV show, I, I don't know to what degree, because, you know, yeah, that was true. Cold War era, I don't know to what degree they got into the te- technical side of this thing, this gadget will let us hear any conversation from 500 yards away. Because we did find, we finally found a reference that was too old even for me to have have what? <laughs> so like the Punisher, that feels to me like the most modern of the superheroes because it has that element of the law explicitly cannot solve my problem. So I'm going to become a criminal. 
Because like Spider-Man, clearly he commits seven or eight dozen crimes in the course of, of any given day, right? Like it's it's not legal to swing off of buildings and to and to use <laughs> webbing to apprehend people you see committing crimes, but it's not explicitly about the police have failed us, therefore I have to use my web magic to to stop the criminals, where the Punisher is more like it's playing off that nineteen seventies era the criminals on the streets, we can only win by being more violent than them. Focusing more on like the technology and the surveillance era stuff, like the Mission Impossible team now may be less violent, but that's why like the technology magic is so much more important because it's like, see, we don't have to necessarily kill the people. We just have to trick them into telling us everything using technology that also, if we wanted to use this to track down enemies of the government, we could also do that, but don't worry, we won't, because Ethan Hunt is a good person. Even though it has turned out that they're, like in in four of the movies, the bad guy is in fact the Mission Impossible agency itself that has been infiltrated. Yeah, that's been the last several Bond movies, like Craig and even End of Brosnan. He just had to like leave MI6 to save it kind of thing. And and also Captain America in particular has been very Mr. Magoo about his own government being full of Hydra agents, being, uh, I guess, like deep stated by Hydra. Like he just keeps having to completely leave the government and fight it rather than just being like aware of his surroundings when he's at the CIA. You know, it's really weird. You know, again, for an institution in Hollywood that is supposed to be very like pro liberal and therefore we think of like being big government, they're very big on coming back again and again to the themes of if anything gets done, it'll be in defiance of the government and of agencies or or anyone else. You know, there's a whole genre of the vigilante who takes to the streets that continues, you know, like that's yeah. like the Taken series is that we love. My question is, because I'm conflicted about this, do you think that that's just an archetype that will always be there? The person who picks up a gun or a sword or whatever, and they've just got to go get the bad guys themselves, or do you think that is something that is distinct to not, I realize it's not distinct to our era, but is distinct to like modern America going back to like the, the cowboy days. I think it's actually partly a reaction to us having freedoms as people. If we somehow progress to a totally totalitarian situation, then no one will be interested in that story. But it's that thing of, when you know other people around you have an amount of freedom, some people are get anxious about that and just don't trust it. And so I think it, it like particularly pops up in America because people can say what they want and do what they want a lot of the time. I had never thought of it that way because it, like the, there's a difference between like our actual history, you know, it features heavily this whole frontier era when people were having to go out west and there was no federal government out there. And they basically had to survive on their own. And it was, you know, the government was very slow to catch up to them, right? And so the whole Old West genre, the whole Western genre, was about people liking that idea. That it's cool, the idea of going out someplace where it's largely devoid of people, it's not overcrowded, and it's just you yeah. 
and your gun and your family, or it's you, you know, it's a guy with a gun who has to help the innocent. Yeah, so there was an era when the Old West was real, but then there was another era in Hollywood when it became a fantasy, where it became the thing we wished we still had, which, again, those movies, a lot of them, to me, don't resonate. Because the whole thing of, oh, this white child has been kidnapped by the Apache and we've got to go slaughter them and get the child back. I can't enjoy that now. I realize Westerns are still being made and that they, you know, they simply switch it up. Right. And again, as I mentioned, you know, the Westerns were reborn in the 80s as post-apocalypse movies because that was the only way you could sort of have the same setup, you know, where there's no law, there's no people. You know, that most of the infrastructure is gone, but it's just you and your friends and, and a few other people and your gun. And if there's a problem, you don't call anybody else. You've got to deal with it yourself. And maybe that's just a storytelling format. And so th- things like John Wick, where that's a universe in which in the first movie, yeah. I think shot 73 people <laughs> or something like that, which would be. Like in, in New York history, that would be like the second most violent day after 9-11. Like if there was a day when 75 people were shot, let alone shot by one guy, like just if they didn't know who shot them all. It's like 73 bodies have been discovered and they've all been shot in the head three times. That would be national news. That would be international news. Yeah. But the idea that that's a world where he doesn't get arrested for that, right? Like it's he's not a, necessarily a vigilante; he's a hired gun. But it's the same genre genre where it's like, and, and they remade the Equalizer with Denzel Washington, and they've all sort of get a similar background. Like he's ex special forces, and now he's going to use his powers for good. And the key is that no one's going to arrest him for doing what he does. He's going to kill twenty or thirty people. In a Home Depot, I think, at the end of the movie. And yeah, it's a lot of tool-based killings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot, yeah a, lot, a lot of drilling guys in the skull. And yeah. he's not, you know he's not going to answer for that. And it's like, maybe it's just a matter of it's inconvenient to have the police be a part of the narrative. My book is like that. The sci- science fiction novel I wrote has that element where the police, it's kind of a, a plot point that the police aren't really a factor in that city. And it's just because it's, it's boring if the cops just come arrest the guy. You want the heroes to have to deal with them. But if you read an old, old story about samurai or something that's in the biblical times, and yeah. if there's a tale of like a sword fight in the streets, you do just assume that's the way it was back then, right? Yeah, yeah, especially uh, stories of knights. Like I remember reading a lot of those as a kid, and I just assumed that most things were adjudicated by the nearest lord with a horse, you know? Yeah, there was like like Game of Thrones when you when you cut somebody down in the streets with a sword like that's you just get away with it like and but maybe it was this it was always like this maybe those stories are just as much fantasy and I don't know maybe it was people were just routinely arrested for for doing those things but that's interesting that we always kind of long for an era when in reality would be a living nightmare to live in if it was actually like that, because you're not going to be the guy with the gun. You're going to be with the bystander who gets shot. <laughs> like it's, that's not going to be you. You're not going to be the cool one. You'll be the one in the background laying in the street. Cause even with the West, like one movie I think of with this is high noon, because my reading of that is high noon as a landmark Western, because they bothered to explain and make realistic why 
there are no authorities to help and why this guy needs to be the guy with the gun and actually deal with it. Like every other Western, it's just assumed like, well, you just got to go do it. And that one, Gary Cooper, like goes through town finding out that each part of society is not going to help him like painstakingly over the hour. I think we like those because it's a combination of it would be more exciting to not already live in a relatively solid society where there are authorities to help and also probably that like men want to feel masculine by doing that. Like I think a lot of these stories we're talking about are male driven and that's also an element of it. Yeah. They're male driven or else they if it's a female hero hero, it's a female crafted in the image of what an ass kicking hero should look like. Like it's yeah. it's a woman who can do kung fu and can shoot people. It's like atomic blonde where she still does it's the exact same thing that John Wick is doing, only it happens to be a woman. It's not like through some feminine lens. Right. Or it's the only feminine part is that it's a female character. Like otherwise it's not that different. If that genre is still around, one thing that I hope will look monstrous about those movies or a lot of them is who is the ones getting shot. One thing we realized with these is there tend to be racism or classism or something like that baked into these. And there's a game from 2016 called Tom Clancy's The Division. And I walked into a room where a friend of mine was playing it. And he his character was in Brooklyn. And I've lived in Brooklyn. And I felt like I like recognized the street. You know, he was on. And he was going around basically shooting underprivileged people. That was essential. Like it wasn't totally explicit that they were all black or something like that, but it was you're a special forces type person who's been dropped into the hellhole of Brooklyn and you need to shoot citizens because they're looting, right? So what else are you going to do? And I talked to him about the game and, and the premise of it is that there's been some kind of rage virus released in New York City. And so there's like some canonical ground that's been established that there's nothing you can do but shoot these people. I feel there's a, a gross element to that, though. I really, I had to like leave the space he was playing it in because it felt really, really weird to see him like running around the neighborhood I used to live in, gunning down citizens. Not into it. Specifically, gunning down citizens who are like starving and trying to to get food out of a dumpster or something. Yeah, there's something that needs to be addressed right away because you said, well, like they have a justification in universe, like well, they they've been infected by a rage virus or whatever. Something similar comes up in, like, there was a controversy over the game uh, Resident Evil 5 several years ago, where that game took place in Africa, and you were playing as this big muscular, for the most part, this big muscular white guy with high-tech guns, just mowing down a bunch of African savages, and again, their thing was like, well, yeah... Of course, you're mowing down Africans because the game takes place in Africa. That's where that's where the mutant outbreak occurred. It's like, okay, you understand they <laughs> chose that. Right. Like the writers, it's like when people complain about some of the sexualization in anime and the anime fans will say, well, no, the female heroine's clothes fly off her because her magic only works when she's nude. you realize that's not a real thing the the, the writers chose that to be her power so she would be nude they chose to set their game in africa they could have put it 
anywhere. They could have done a lot of things. They, you know, they could have made the bad guys robots. There were a lot of choices that got them there that you now are treating like, well, what are you going to do? Of, of course, you're going to shoot these people. They're infested. They're infested with a rage virus. It's like, yeah, but you understand they carefully constructed an apparatus that would give you the freedom to shoot hundreds and hundreds of human beings yeah. for the crime of looting. They justified it, but they worked backward. They started with a game mechanic in which you shoot people and then worked backward to make it okay. Now, I have killed the entire Earth's population several times over in video games. A great example of the thing you're talking about is the Far Cry franchise. The Far Cry franchise, which is largely about you go to an exotic location, either in the mountains or on an island or somewhere, and there's some like local power, a warlord or something you have to help overthrow. So you've basically got a bunch of bases and areas that you have to take back one at a time to kind of reclaim the land. So you do wind up shooting hundreds and hundreds of, of foreigners. The most recent game takes place in Montana. Oh. And it's the one I, I'm playing now. And it, the whole premise is, same deal, you're in a region of Montana in a specific county that has been taken over by an evil, violent cult. And this cult is using drugs to program the the regular people to be part of their army, and they will mindlessly attack you, and so you have to gun them down. And I've probably shot 3,000 people in the course of playing Far Cry 5. It is weird, <laughs> because yep. they are people from Montana. They're dressing them in clothing of poor people from America. The trailers and the houses that I'm exploring for loot look exactly like the trailers and houses from the town I'm from, down to the peeling paint, down to the little sheds in the backyard where they keep their, their lawnmower. All of that landscape is very familiar to me, and the people I'm shooting who could just be meth addicts right. look very familiar to me. And then the things like the way the software will repeat like the same three character models over and over again that I did not notice when they were Africans, but now that they're white people who look like the people I grew up with, and it's like the same three people stamped out over and over again for me to kill, it suddenly like uh. occurs to me, oh, what I'm doing here is monstrous. <laughs> this game is this game is cloning people like poor whites into an army that I can mow down. And, but the people I'm doing it to, if I go back right today and drive back through my old hometown, I will see people who look exactly like the ones I'm killing in the game. And that connection was not made until I was killing people who look like my friends from back home. There's another side thing there that I realized as you were speaking that, because all video games, they turn a lot of people into NPCs, non-player characters which is something screenwriting does too. Like it turns anybody who's not the main characters into less important humans, you know? And so then in a video game, you're not only shooting these people, but also just the way video games are designed. As you're looking at these people in these towns, they're not each an individual new design, right? Like just through the basic mechanics of building people in a video game, aren't they just taking like three or four things, repeating them in a slightly varied way for those characters and kind of dehumanizing them? They're making them just a stock thing rather than individual people who should be thought of individually. And they're not doing it on purpose. 
It's a limitation of the technology. Right. It would be weird if they went in and programmed literally 5,000 individual humans for you to kill. It would be weird if <laughs> yeah, these weird in the video games, <laughs> if these games had children in them, which they do not. These people all have you know similar body types. Now, because these games are more progressive, a lot of the people you're killing are women. Which is a good, you know, that's a good step forward. Before it would have only been men, and here they're saying, no, you know what? In this cult, they would also they, they would need women to help them fight. Women can fight just like a man can. So you are now mowing down women too, because of progress. <laughs> <laughs> I realize I purchased that game and I paid full price for it. I realized that I played it through most of the way to the end. I realized that by saying, I hope the future finds my actions monstrous, that that makes me sound like a crazy person. (laughs) (laughs) I I do feel like there is perspective that we probably still lack (laughs) when, when trying to evaluate the media we consume that will... I hope I hope the future judges me very harshly. I'm, I'm fine with that. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace because you can think it, dream it, and make it with Squarespace. Yes, all three of those things. We know you can because hey, you. I, I just get a kick out of saying this every time because it's true every time. You're very very neat. Does everyone know that about you? Maybe like close personal friends know. Maybe your family knows. What if someone across the planet knew because they checked out your website? And guess what? If you build a website with Squarespace, there are built-in analytics that help you grow the site, that help you put it in front of more people. And so you will know when that person across the world is checking your site out. It's really neat. Makes you feel like you know an international person of website. I'm going to trademark that, even though it's an ungainly slogan. Let's get back to talking about Squarespace, because they have beautiful templates created by world-class designers. You can customize everything about your site. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. And if you do have a question, Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support is there to help. Why not get started right now? Head to squarespace.com cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com cracked. Offer code cracked. Brought to you by the all-new season of the FXX animated comedy Archer Danger Island, premiering Wednesday, April 25th at 10 p.m. on FXX. Season 9 centers on the semi-functioning alcoholic seaplane pilot Sterling Archer as he navigates the mysterious and deadly world of Danger Island, located on the lush South Pacific island of Mitimotu in 1939. While the rest of the world is concerned about the impending Second World War, Archer is only concerned with who's buying his next drink. Along with his trusty co-pilot Pam, Sterling must navigate quicksand, cannibals, super-intelligent monkeys, poison darts, pirates, and did we mention quicksand? Welcome to the mysterious and deadly world of Archer Danger Island. Watch the all-new season of Archer Danger Island, Wednesdays at 10, starting April 25th on FXX. Another variation of this is how movies, especially action movies, treat the mentally ill. We've picked out a few things with that, especially the way that a lot of movies and or fictional crime things will deal with serial killers. And they're pretty much always framed as crazy in a way that's like kind of cartoony, right? Yeah. And it's usually in something like they will say they're schizophrenic, but it's schizophrenic in a way that they imagine they must kill all of the people who look like their mother because of their schizophrenia. And, you know, as mental health advocates have been trying to say for decades now, please understand 
people with mental illnesses are much more likely to be crime victims yes. than to be criminals themselves. Most, most people with schizophrenia are not violent. The only reason their crime rate is higher than the general population is because of their employment prospects. They're much more likely to commit minor crimes like breaking into uh. a place, but it's crimes of survival because when someone is homeless because they have a mental illness, they also tend to commit crimes. It is illegal to be homeless, basically. To do yeah. the things you need to do to survive are against the law. So if there is a higher crime rate among the mentally ill, it's due to things like that. It is due to the way society handles them and the fact that they, in many cases, don't know what not to do. But it's not in the sense that they, in like the Hannibal universe, they, you know, construct elaborate murder fantasies or, you know, they, they I, my mental illness caused me to create a maze that women must navigate and there are booby traps all over. It's like, no, that... That actually takes a completely sane person to do that. That actually would be extremely difficult to do with a mental illness. But we have this thing where, again, to feel good about killing a bad guy, we need to dehumanize them. And we've decided that crazy people are okay to, to kill. Like in Borderlands, the bad guys are these psychos, psychopaths, bandits. And we kind of just use that term to mean, well, they're, they're like wild animals. They just, they're violent. And in real life, that's not where the violence comes from. And in real life, one reason why these people have struggled so much is because we as a society don't regard them as human. And we certainly don't want to spend money on treating them because, you know, wow, they're they're just animals. But, you know, the whole concept of like Arkham Asylum, it's like, well, this is where you put the Joker yes. because the Joker is clearly crazy. It's like, well, what mental illness does the Joker have? The Joker is like one of the most organized people <laughs> in fiction. <laughs> like, right. The Joker, I don't think, would be diagnosed with any illness, mental illness. You know, it's it's an evil person who's built an elaborate organization who clearly has access to great wealth. Like, I don't think there's a medication that's going to fix the Joker. Because <laughs> yeah, that Arkham Asylum thing from Batman is such a perfect thing for this. Because I, I've think I've joked with people about how. Man, it seems like most of Batman's problems come from how when Arkham Asylum finally hauls in a villain, they don't brutally incarcerate their patients enough. The guys keep getting out. Ha 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 But like, no, mental health care should involve like something besides just keeping people as fully behind bars as possible. And a lot of these villains, like you say, aren't even mentally ill. They're just like really, really organized, cruel, regular people, <laughs> as far as I can tell. They may be sociopaths, but... There's a lot of CEOs that are sociopaths too, but it's like yeah. in this asylum, it's like, well, you know, it's an asylum. So of course you've got the guy who's part penguin and the crocodile man, <laughs> you know, and of course the guy who's obsessed with, with riddles who has, you know, played by Jim Carrey. Uh, I, I think his name is the, the quiz master or something. Yes. The quiz master. Um, yeah. And of course, he has brain. He has brain gets damaged somehow, and of course, that turns him into a murderer. Like that's the way it works. Your brain goes wrong somehow. You become a murderer, and then a millionaire has to beat you nearly to death, and that's how the problem is solved. <laughs> and in all action movies, like again, I get these are storytelling, con you know, conventions. There is an inherent bias toward fixing the problem at the latest possible moment, like after tremendous harm has already been done. 
if the Joker gets mental health intervention when he's a child, then there's no action movie. Like that's not a movie anyone's. I I, I would watch yeah. it, that movie. Well, but right. <laughs> it's, that's that's not fun. It's what's fun on the screen is explosions, and in real life, by the time something has exploded. Many previous things have gone wrong prior to the explosion. Like, that's just a rule of life. But, like, by the time, if a factory explodes, numerous, like, inspections have not been done, like, prior to that moment. And by the time a bad guy is able to, like, capture an entire building full of people, society has failed at multiple steps prior to that point, right? Like many agencies that should have gotten involved did not. So that's one thing that maybe again, in terms of the future judging us, maybe will never go away that it's just more fun to tell stories where we kind of act like the Joker was inevitable or act like any of these bad guys were inevitable instead of saying, well, you know, in a better society, you know, one reason why crime has dramatically dropped since the 90s is that actually we have gotten better at treating mental illness. We have gotten better at medicating people. We have gotten better at getting, you know, people off the street or catching things early. You know, that there are actually things you can do. You know, why in the dark night, why did the Joker have uh, a rocket launcher. There yeah. are multiple organizations <laughs> who I feel like should have been in charge of making sure that someone who looks and acts like him cannot purchase a rocket launcher. But again, maybe this is just the way stories have to be told. Maybe it will just never be fun to tell stories about prevention. Well, my favorite example of this kind of thing involves movies about presidents. Cause yeah, with that mental health thing, like I guess no one wants to see a movie about a president being like the opposite of Ronald Reagan and funding mental health care really well. But like we want to see a movie like Air Force One where so many things go wrong in your country and presidency if terrorists hijack Air Force One and hold the president captive in exchange for like freeing a terrorist leader. But we apparently love that movie because there's the dramatic tension of the president like personally saving himself from a terrorist and then in that movie there's also like a cat it's not quite a cat and mouse but it's a beat by beat thing where like you see a scene where they unlock the door of the jail cell of the terrorist leader and then there's a scene where he's walking painstakingly through the whole jail as people sing around him and then there's like finally a scene where he gets shot in the prison yard like tens of feet away from freedom it's like it's like we want to see the president defuse a bomb like jack bauer when the movie that won a lot of awards but i think only i liked it lincoln is about abraham lincoln like painstakingly dealing with congress for two hours and i think that movie only got made because steven spielberg and daniel day lewis wanted to do it it's kind of an exception that proves the rule that we don't want a movie where the president does his actual job. But doesn't that movie feature some badass scenes from the Civil War? Yeah, there's one part where like a guy tries to shoot James Spader and it's like pretty funny and action-packed. Like yeah, there's even some still some violence in it. I think it opens with a really muddy battle. Yeah, there's like still punchy stuff to to get people in. Yeah, see if you didn't have the context of the Civil War, like like let's say that in an alternate history the Civil War was never fought because some political genius came along and figured out a way to get rid of slavery in, in a way that the South would 
would tolerate and just got them to comply in some way that they did it peacefully. The movies about that wouldn't be nearly as exciting. It's the context of the horrific war that makes that adds the stakes to Lincoln. Like you, you still have to show that for the people that went to the movie, but maybe paid so little attention in history class that they didn't realize what was at stake. (laughs) Right. That the only, the movie gets made and you can focus on that part of it because it's like, well, the other part you already know, you know that it was the deadliest war in American history and that it laid waste to entire chunks of the, of the country. And so you have the excitement built in the tension and the stakes are built in. Whereas if it had been an entirely preventative measure, the scientists who came up with, during like the Green Revolution, they came up with the technology that would basically change agriculture and basically doubled the number of people that could be fed. They didn't get a movie. If there right. had been a worldwide mass starvation that they had to save at the last second, then you get a movie. You only, you only get the movie if you've solved the problem too late, is my point. Because it's just not, it's just not fun otherwise. There's no stakes. And it's like, well, no, do you understand? They... They literally saved billions of lives. There are a few people that revolutionize like how fertilization works. They saved billions of lives. It's like, well, yeah, but not, they didn't defuse a nuclear bomb. They did it through boring means by changing how agriculture occurs. Like who, who cares about that? That's not fun. That sounds more like my everyday life where I have to look at spreadsheets all day. (laughs) I want to see somebody hanging from a a helicopter or something. Is narrative fiction making us want the world to get worse so we can see it get better at the last second? This sort of a side thing, but in baseball, there's a phenomenon where people think outfielders who make last-minute diving catches are the best fielders, when in actuality it's guys who get an accurate read on where the ball's going in the first place and don't have to hustle so hard to catch it. And I feel like, I feel like we all want all of our heroes to be diving outfielders who barely get the ball when they could have just like figured it out in the first place. That is a perfect analogy because it looks so cool when someone yeah. lays out for a catch and it's so cool when they actually do it because that's a high risk move. Like more often than not, they miss it. And then you're yeah, laying yeah. on the ground while the ball rolls behind you and the guy gets it inside the park home run. When the boring things, the things that makes baseball almost unwatchable as a sport. Is <laughs> Except to me. <laughs> when, the guy, when the guy hits the ball and it flies off camera and there's a brief second when you think it's a home run. And then it cuts to the outfield and you see like a bored outfielder standing there with a glove over his face. And he's like yeah. chewing gum. And then the <laughs> ball just lands in his glove like he doesn't even have to move from his spot. It's like such a cruel moment. But what happened was that guy played it correctly because he knew where this guy hits. He got into position and he just eased over when the ball came off the bat. Right. And he didn't get a late jump on it. And because he made it look boring, we hate that person. It's like, <laughs> no, if, if baseball was all that guy, the sport would have died long ago. It, it would be, it would be awful. It would be awful to watch. I realize that it sounds dumb to act like our leaders are programmed by these movies, but they sort of are. We hate yeah. spending money on foreign aid and on money that's just food aid that's just money sent to a government. We love spending money on the military. It's the one thing that everyone agrees on. It's the one thing it's the one time we don't care about taxes, we don't care about deficits. If it is buying a really cool fighter jet, we will find the money. But if you say let's send this money to help these starving people in Somalia, 
we will protest it. It's like, well, we've got starving people in America. It is exactly this. The entire yeah. reason foreign aid exists is to try to stabilize situations so we will not have to go in there with the military later. It is always about trying to prop up a government, trying to prop up a regime, trying to keep things from... Because, again, when you have starvation, you get rioting in the streets, right? It's rarely done out of the goodness of our hearts. A lot of our foreign aid goes to Israel. Uh, you know, a lot of it goes to try to keep fires from spreading. But our yeah. bias is towards solving the problem after it's time for the bombs, because that's cool. And we like watching bombs. And it's just, it's like, that is money well spent. A bomb that blows up a village, <laughs> that half million dollars, that which is what each of those cost, that's money well spent. To take that same half million dollars and feed that village, you know, and like try to stabilize their economy or whatever 20 years earlier would have been met with outrage because, yeah, we find that boring. And I think we do that in a lot of our policy. It's right now with the Trump's administration. And yes, this was a Trump podcast all along. This was <laughs> always a Trump episode. We've tricked you again. <laughs> when he talks about like fighting the opioid addiction, what's he talking about? Incarceration, getting tough on crime, arresting people. And it's like, okay, so you're you're now ruining multiple lives because now you're yeah. putting somebody in jail. That person's family who they were supporting by selling the drugs, now they have no source of income. Now they're going on public aid, you know, and the people who were buying the drugs are not going to stop doing the drugs. They're just going to find another dealer. But again, drug raids are cool. That's action hero stuff. Cops with those those black outfits on, their faces covered, and the, the submachine guns kicking in her door. That is cool. That's the stuff action movies are made of. That's how we want to fight this problem. You know, we want to be RoboCop. Yeah. The idea of doing it through treatment, through policy, through cutting off the supply, working with doctors, working with the drug companies, you know, all these things with trying to figure out, you know, with the prescriptions and that it doesn't get out of the hands of the patients who actually need it and all that stuff. That's so boring and yes it affects policy the policy favors the fun part because again the voters watch those movies and the voters vote and so they tend to support the method that is the Man. way it would work in a movie that is such a good example like well i even when i was a kid playing pc games i had games where you're a swat team and another game well counter-strike uh, where like yeah you're a team of like black ops people fixing something that got way out of hand, man. There were, there's a lot we could have done in the first place. And also as far as that jailing thing being a solution to drugs, like that is such a perfect policy that I really think is just influenced by us going to the movies. Last week I did an episode with Chrissy Harrison. We were talking about a guy named Larry Krasner, who is now the district attorney in Philadelphia. And he has become like a landmark figure in recent American politics. He just got elected by putting out a memo saying that one thing we need to do in criminal justice is think about how much it costs to incarcerate people and whether it's definitely worth it. Because incarcerating someone for a year in Philly apparently costs forty-two dollars to $60,000. And if we think for a second like that money could go toward better things, we could try to find something rehabilitative instead of jailing the person. But if it's a movie, everyone's walked out of the theater now or switch to the next Netflix thing. They're out. Like that's not that's not an entertaining way to deal with this. Like the video games always start with the previous part that has like already happened. It's like the president has been kidnapped and <laughs> the police have all been killed. It's like, wait, he, he has? 
<laughs> they they were like only you and a team of ninjas can can stop them now it's like are you sure there was there was no i need to know more about how we got here this is something that we've always made fun of this on the site because every zombie apocalypse works this way it's like how did this spread beyond the very first zombie Unless that that one very slow shambling zombie, shambling <laughs> zombie would bite one victim, every witness to that occurrence would quickly like kill the zombie, and then you know when the victim came back to life, they'd be like, "Oh, this is they've turned into the the thing that that other thing was." Just you know, keep your distance. Right. End of apocalypse. They always just fast forward to, you know, all, all governments have fallen. All militaries have been overrun by the zombies. And then you see the zombies. It's like, how did even like 20 people get bitten? (laughs) But in order to make these movies work, they always have to conveniently fast forward. Like sometimes they'll have like a flashback of like a zombie being discovered. And then it's like, one year later <laughs> now everyone's zombies don't ask don't ask how it happened but maybe the future will judge us for that because it'll be like really they weren't able to handle these things like what kind of world do they live in that those slow moving predators like why weren't they taken out by wolves if they couldn't handle these slow shambling dumb predators right. with like no predator instincts yeah i guess you know, back to when we were talking about knights and samurai and stuff like it, maybe it really will seem to the future like our era had no governments or laws and i think we there are like corners of the world where there are a lot of problems and there's disorder but yeah maybe our read on history is also driven by this fiction where a couple heroes have to go fix everything when in actuality there were like you know, lords who were relatively organized. I think in general, a lot of fiction, you know, in order to be scary, it is a form of scaremongering, right? Like they're scaremongering about the mentally ill. They're scaremongering about inner city crime and about an impending collapse of civilization. I think in general, most scaremongering looks ridiculous to future generations um, the same way we called out like those old drug exploitation movies <laughs> and how silly now it's like if the yeah. reefer gets into your system, it will scramble your brain. There, there are people who immediately went into a coma because they could not handle the high of the <laughs> devil weed. And you look back at like, you know, science fiction movies from the 1950s when, when nuclear power was new and they knew they were dangerous, but they didn't know what the dangers were. So it was always like, this iguana was near a nuclear test site and now it's 500 stories tall and is rampaging (laughs) through the cities. Like they were so sure that somehow radiation would make animals huge. (laughs) Like it's funny, but but the whole point was they didn't know, like like today, if you wanted to make that movie, you would you would build it around nanobots or genetic engineering or something like you would just substitute in some new technology that in general, I think all scaremongering about technology looks silly in the future, not because there were no dangers from nuclear power, there were, but because they always so badly misunderstand what the danger is or will be. Uh, there's one thing we had noted about the uh, games where you shoot fellow citizens for no reason, and one of them is that in the Black Mirror episode, 15 Million Merits, one element of their dystopia is there are people on bicycles powering something. We don't know why, but they're relatively high class compared to 
people in these crazy yellow jumpsuits doing janitorial work around them. And a lot of the people on the bicycles, among their entertainment options, is to play a video game where you gun down yellow jumpsuited janitors and so you, because they're lower class and so that's how the game works. And that's something that made me think about that kind of trope. But as we look at this tech scaremongering and the future that we could have, Black Mirror, I think, Jason, you said it, keeps coming down to what if somebody built a horrible technology and you were for some reason forced to use it all of the time? which doesn't uh, tend to happen, as far as I can tell. They're obsessed with the idea of building a technology that turns everyone into sociopaths. Yeah. When they're trying to explain the dangers of the technology, they have to keep ramping it up to such a ridiculous degree because it's a horror show. It's not like a thoughtful drama. It's, it's horror. It, it's everything has to put, turn into murder and or your brain being sucked into a virtual reality where you'll be tortured for all of eternity. And they always keep keep coming back to only the lack of technology somehow is keeping people in line. When in reality, technology can be either good or bad. The same chemistry that revolutionized fertilizer also invented chemical weapons. You can both feed people and poison people. It depends on whose hands it's in. But you have to have some faith to some degree in the institutions to control the technology. And Black Mirror is a universe in which that doesn't exist. No, everyone is terrible in the future. And so because they have this all-powerful technology, they use it as basically, they use like, have like a godlike ability to torture people and they'll use it. And it's a cautionary tale that it's almost at its heart, it's not about it's not cautionary about technology. It's cautionary about human beings. It's like it has no faith that people 50 years from now will have any common sense whatsoever because it's like, well, what if in the future there was social media that ran everything in your life? Like if you got enough downvotes on your social media page, you would just get fired from your job. Like, and then people could just downvote your page and then you'll get you fired. It's like, yeah, but I like to think that in the future, business owners are not complete morons <laughs> and that their best employee, if, they, if they're the victim of a downvote brigade because they criticized a video game in a YouTube video or something, that people are not going to suddenly become idiots in the future. And I realize that there's that whole premise of like, well, yeah, but we're getting dumber all the time because technology is making us dumber, which itself is an extremely stupid thing to think and objectively untrue. Technology doesn't make us dumber. It just lets us offload a bunch of tasks. It's true. I don't have to memorize the streets in my city anymore because I have a navigator, but I use that brain power on other things. It didn't just make me dumber like as a society, (laughs) but I feel like that to me, all those episodes look ridiculous. Now I think 30 years from now, they'll look ignorant. My favorite example of that Black Mirror thing where the problem is just somebody being a jerk is in the latest season of it, there's an episode called Crocodile which I'm about to spoil. And it's where the new technology is that it's hard to tell if it's police or a contractor with the police, but they have a thing where they can look at your memories of an event if you let them um, in order to solve a crime. Like they, they put a little chip on your head and then they can see them happening on a monitor based on you reconstructing it in your own brain. And much like uh, the technology we mentioned that created fertilizer and chemical weapons, like, 
that seems like something you could use to abuse people's privacy. You could also mostly use it to solve crimes more effectively. It seems like it would be handy. But the whole episode tries to hinge on a lady who who is just really, to me, impulsively killing people to like cover up an earlier first uh, hit and run that she had been involved in in her life. And so there's just this lady, as I was watching, I was like, this lady just keeps killing people for no particular reason some of the time. And then they're trying to make me scared of this other technology that's kind of wallpaper in it in the background. It really, really doesn't make sense. Right, because it's not really the technology that's problem there. It's yeah. it's the, the writers believe that in the future, random middle-class people like her will be willing to just murder people all, all <laughs> the time. You know, And if you talk to that lady, it's like, well, of course I did it. They have this brain scanning technology, so of course I had to murder everyone. It's like, you know, I'm thinking you would have been a murderer in any era. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that this is something that this technology caused. But they've got another episode, and we're just spoiling all of Black Mirror, but they've got another episode where it's like in a future video games, like online multiplayer role-playing games will be so advanced that the NPCs will be fully sentient humans. And in fact, they can take your DNA and reproduce your entire being, entire mind, body, soul, all of your thoughts and personality in-game as an NPC. Yeah, it's the Star Trek episode. When when incredibly sadistic sociopaths (laughs) own and run that entire technology... They will use it to torture people forever, creating a hell in which these sentient humans are tortured in unimaginable ways. It's like, okay, again, that guy would have been a sociopath without that technology. I I don't think the technology is your (laughs) issue there because he's willing to put himself in a situation where the world feels real to him and then he uses it to torture and kill people all the time. That person has always existed. The technology did not invent that guy. In reality, that guy probably would not thrive as a software engineer. He would he would probably have been caught torturing animals as a child, and hopefully someone would have gotten him help. Yeah. In the course of trying to build, like, well, what if the future is horrible? It's almost presented like it's supposed to be cautionary or it's commentary about our world. But in order for it to be horror, the horror genre, everyone has to be a serial killer, like everyone you run into. (laughs) And I don't know if people who watch it, because I keep seeing comments when people watch those episodes, it's like, man, that's chilling. Like, you know, you just think 20 years from now they could have that. It's like, yeah, but people like him are not going to be more common 20 years from now. Like... If your premise is that technology is making us more evil and turning us into sociopaths, I'm going to need to see some numbers on that because somehow the violent crime rate has been falling falling for like 30 straight years. And in the era of social media and the internet and things like that, even those violent video games I mentioned, like there are definitely tendencies that technology makes worse. I do think it's bad for attention spans. I do think it makes us unable to tolerate frustration sometimes because games are very good about just giving you what you want with enough attempts. So I do think maybe they make people more irritable, but if you're trying to convince me that technology is manufacturing psychopaths, 
I'm going to need to see your data. Right. And I will also ask you why you are still living and living on the grid. Like if you're, if you're so sure of that get out of here, like flee, you know? Right. Because in every single case, the smart people watching those episodes are always thinking, yeah, it's going to be terrible once other people get those gadgets. It'll be great <laughs> when I have them. Like I, when I have a realistic game like that, everyone will be happy forever. What I fear is when, when me, the protagonist of reality, gets it, it'll be great. When the rest of the world that is made up of inhuman monsters gets it, it's just going to be a nightmare. Because, of course, <laughs> I can be trusted. I can Man. be trusted to play these games. But, you know, it's, you know who I'm talking about. It's those other people who are not <laughs> as to put together as, as I am. I realized I saw that Star Trek-y Black Mirror episode and thought, like, I would be a much better captain and yet all of my The Sims people have been abandoned and are probably dead. Like, they're all, I don't know what I did to them. Like, let's say it was a scandal where it turned out that the way The Sims is made is they actually, in some third world country, oh, no. they, like, make <laughs> those people act out your Sims and that they were never virtual, that they were, like, being remote controlled and they were actually human beings. You would feel bad about it. You yes. would not just go back to playing the game the way you did before, where you build a swimming pool and then you take the ladder off the pool and then watch them, <laughs> them drown. Right. You, the whole premise of these seems to be that technology is naturally dehumanizing. And I just don't agree. And I realize we have listeners who think I'm the naive one, but I think that's objectively untrue that they will they're so able to clearly say look a gun is only as bad as the person carrying it you know and, and if you're talking about controlling who gets these then you've got to really consider do good people not get them but then in the next breath they'll say well you know the problem it's those violent video games <laughs> and the same bedrock principle that the technology is only as good as the person using it or knowing how to use it or how a person has been raised to handle it, it only applies to the things we like. And so it's like, well, yeah. my hobby is shooting guns in real life. His hobby is shooting video game guns. And so we're each going to accuse each other of being the problem. But we will each on our own terms say, well, well no, you see... You know, if children are of the mindset, if you've got a disturbed child or something that could be inflamed to violence by a game, then you have to treat it differently and get them help or whatever. But I'm saying that it's the same thing for the person trying to buy a gun. You should find out why they want it. <laughs> and But anyway, we always have such a double standard with technology because, yeah, the technology that I'm personally using and depending on is great, but I worry endlessly about how other people will abuse it. Another example I had on here is in horror. And again, horror movies that are sci-fi horror to be fair to them. And again, I write sci-fi horror. They have yeah. to have a framework for the horror to occur, right? If they go to another planet, they have to run into an alien and the alien cannot be friendly. Like, because it, that's not the genre. It's actually uh, disappointing to the audience. If the aliens in the movie aliens it turned out it was just a misunderstanding. The aliens were just trying to like negotiate with them and just didn't know, didn't know how. If like if that movie had like a peaceful resolution at the end, I think we would have all been like, "That's weird." Like that Ripley wound up <laughs> just sitting down with the alien leader and they came up with a treaty. For instance, they will move from before it was like radiation, and I mentioned that more recently, it's things like genetic engineering. This this killer 
as a part of a generic genetic engineering project where they were trying to, the government was trying to breed like the perfect killer and he got loose. My favorite example was the movie deep blue sea, which people only remember that movie because Samuel L. Jackson got eaten by that shark, like in the middle of his speech. But yeah, the, the premise of that movie was that they needed to develop like brain drugs and they needed to test them on sharks. Oh, right. And yeah. in order to be easier to work on the shark's brains, they needed to make the, their brains much, much, much bigger. <laughs> and of course, the only way to do that is to make the entire shark gigantic, but just as bloodthirsty as a regular shark, but also now huge and also super intelligent. And then, believe it or not, they got loose and started eating people. (laughs) To this day, if you have the word genetic engineering or genetically modified attached to something, people are scared to death of it, including like genetic genetically engineered food or GMO food, where you have labels that have to say this is non-GMO corn or whatever. Believing that GMO food is harmful is exactly as evidence-based as believing that vaccines cause autism. This has been tested and tested and tested and tested and tested. This is one of the most exhaustively tested things in the world. They have never found negative health effects from genetically modified food, which makes sense because everything you eat has been genetically modified. The corn that you have that they were growing in the old Western times was carefully bred. It does not grow naturally in the wilderness like that. Right. The bananas you have in your kitchen That is not a natural organism. If you go back 100,000 years, early humans were not finding bananas on trees like you find in your grocery store. Humans made bananas. They they used to have huge seeds in them, and they were very small. Like, Like Those were carefully bred by splicing plants together. We've always done it that way. But because it has the word genetic modified in it, and we have decades of horror movies where genetically modified organisms turn out like Khan in Star Trek, wasn't he the product of like a genetic engineering thing to make like a super soldier or super general or something? Because now any kind of talk of like genetically modifying humans or like checking genes or, or, or like anything with, you know, fetuses or, or looking at parents who, you know, see like what likelihood of your having genetic diseases do your children have or anything like that. People like recoil because it sounds like, oh, this is the road to to Hitler. This is eugenics. And I think that will sound monstrous in the future. I think that will sound like superstition that that saying, well, no, it's perfectly natural that this child should be born blind because that's what God intended is just as gross as saying 100 years ago. No, this woman should feel the pain of childbirth. She, we shouldn't give her drugs to dull the pain. God intended birth to be painful. It's in the Bible. And where now that seems like cruel and stupid to most people, I think saying you can't modify genes, that's playing God. I think that will seem just as ignorant because you'll have that's a future where they have been able to edit out Alzheimer's disease, which I would not wish on. Anyone, if you, anyone right. who hearing this, who doesn't understand why that would be beneficial, uh, you trust me, you've not, you've not had a parent or a grandparent go through it. The solution to that will be almost certainly genetic because again, it is better to fix things at a genetic level, things that are, you would inherit from birth rather than have to try to treat it at the end. 
the idea that, well, no, you'll accidentally make monsters. You'll ac- it's like, yeah, but people accidentally die from medicine all the time, too. People accidentally die in surgery, too. People get infections at hospitals, too. You see what happened, and you adjust, and then it doesn't happen anymore. That's how technology works. Yes, it will, it will go wrong at some point, but that's how you advance. It's, you kind of can't avoid that, but we get so, because we've been fed the horror scenario, and because it works on like an emotional level, instead of like thinking through the implications, it's just horror. It's just fear. Right. It ruins your ability to like evaluate it because the idea of like genetically modifying somebody in the wrong way is like unthinkable. It's like, well, why is that better than just letting them get Alzheimer's? It'd be like a pre-vaccination essentially, right? Like we do things that are not genetic engineering, but essentially proofing ourselves from diseases after people are born. And so you're saying that essentially technology will advance to the point where we do it before people are born too. Like we'll go that direction. Yeah, that's the whole goal of identifying those things in the genome. This whole reason of mapping it out so you can see specifically in there, here's what's going to make this this child more prone to have whatever. Pick pick your trait. And they're they're afraid that it'll be like a form of discrimination against, you know, like like kids with Down syndrome or whatever. It's like you can treat kids with Down syndrome well and at the same time make it so that future kids don't have it. Right. We'll have to use it well. Yeah. It's, we, we don't mistreat sick people, or at least we shouldn't, we, you know, but we still try to prevent the diseases. We don't say, ah, therefore the people with cancer now should be exterminated. It's like, no, you, you help the people who have it, and then also you find a way to prevent it. And then they're like, well, yeah, but what if you start talking about like looking at low intelligence or trying to modify intelligence in people. It's like, okay, again, you can do all sorts of things now to improve intelligence. Things like getting the lead out of the atmosphere or the water. Yeah. yeah, Like there's all sorts of, of toxins in the environment that lower intelligence. There's all sorts of things with nutrition, with childcare, with with things in early childhood that lower intelligence. Like we do things all the time to try to improve that. Education raises your intelligence. Like we get so scared of things. And I think for the most part, all technology scaremongering winds up looking stupid for the most part. That's not to say there's not risks of technology. Of course yeah. we are. Like they were the scaremongering about nuclear technology. Like nuclear war is still a thing that could occur. It's just that they almost always get it wrong and for instance i think the thing that will be bad about like genetic engineering will be like the class divide the fact that it won't be available to the poor yeah for sure the fact that an an upper middle class family could guarantee that their kid will have an iq of 140 and a lower class family won't and that would just perpetuate but i've never seen that addressed in movies it's always to make this kid smarter we gave him the genes from an octopus, and then he was born with eight limbs. As we just describe this stuff, I'm amazed how much my brain jumps to pop culture to process it. Because, like, the one movie with this kind of genetic engineering kids and class divide thing that jumps to mind is Gattaca, which I was shown in school. Actually, it was a thing that, like, our my, as science teacher showed us on a slow day. But that's a that is a movie where this thing happens of like, yeah, the the lower class person, it was either money or faith. They decided not to edit Ethan Hawke's genes and then it limited his opportunities and he had to like sneak around it all these crazy ways. 
And then on the food front in in life, when people are like, I'm afraid of genetically modified food, the other term they use is Franken food. Like they're explicitly drawing on Frankenstein's monster as a way to understand horticulture, like understand breeding plants to grow better as crops. It's it seems extremely driven by our our take on culture. And then as far as genetically modifying people, like I th- that's a fascinating idea to me that the future will be fine with it because maybe it will like that of all these things we've talked about it's the one i recoil from the most like i'm i'm by far the least comfortable with that being the future and yet it may be like you say like we may get there yeah and i because i think once upon a time you had the same visceral reaction to the concept of surgery certainly to the concept of like a brain surgery and Sure enough, the early attempts were monstrous, but I, I think it's just the logical end point of medicine. Like you, you figure out how about how a body works, and you figure out how you can prevent things instead of waiting until they need a surgery or they need a lifetime of expensive care. It's like the most merciful thing you can do. But again, the the assumption that well, you know what's going to happen in the future? Corporations are going to use genetic engineering to turn us all into monsters, uh, you know? And it's like, okay, see, your problem there is not the technology. Your problem there is that you believe corporations want to turn you all into monsters <laughs> when I think they just want to sell you a bunch of stuff. So, yes, it's possible some corporation will try to slip in a gene that will make you really want their coffee but that risk is always there you could just as easily say well you know once people know how to do surgery what happens when a surgeon uses his surgery power to just remove all of your limbs and sew your eyeballs shut in general and this is something i know i've talked about in previous episodes i feel like anything that comes with the theme of the future will be just an utter disaster i think looks funny to the future because 80s movies that thought 2015 would be just an absolute wasteland. And I think that in the future, generally like 30 or 50 years from now, unless an actual apocalypse has happened, that anything (laughs) we've done, not just our obsession with having apocalypses, but the way we seemed obsessed with the idea that society is incredibly fragile that just the smallest change would make this like would just make people become totally lawless or whatever. I like to think they'll see that as weird, or at the very least, I think the type of apocalypses we portrayed they'll think is weird. I think certainly on a climate front, because there are a couple of movies like Day After Tomorrow or the recent hilarious to me movie Geostorm, where Climate change is somebody builds one satellite that like manipulates weather and then the entire world is like like it's snowing at the equator and, and stuff when that's actually just a much more gradual process that really is impacting places. And it'll look really, really funny to people <laughs> think of the future that we thought it would be sudden and like one guy's fault. And it because that comes down to so much of what all of the apocalypses come down to, which is, can you imagine if this thing that routinely happens to third world countries <laughs> happened to white people? Because like with the climate change thing, here's how that's going to play out. Food prices are going to go up. A lot of very poor countries that cannot afford to build canals and seawalls and things because we talk about like, well, New York will be underwater. 
New York will not be underwater. New York is a wealthy place. New York will build structures that can ameliorate a sea level rise. There's, there's places that are built under sea level. New York is not the one who's going to feel it first. Okay. It's going to be these, you know, these island nations, places that can't afford that kind of infrastructure where, you know, when you get more unpredictable weather patterns, you get food prices going up, you know, for us, we'll complain that a hamburger costs more. You'll have countries where they can't get grain. They can't get rice. So in order, I guess, to bring it home to us, they have to make it this exciting global warming showed up at noon on Thursday (laughs) and and New York is now underwater. And I think that's the way it sort of always happens because here's the reality. Like the, the apocalyptic scenarios like Mad Max, where you've got a warlord who's like hoarding resources and terrorizing the population. Here's the news that's going on somewhere right now. It's just going on in Africa. It's not going on in wherever Mad Max is supposed to take place. Yeah. And the people who are suffering under it don't look like Mel Gibson or, or Tom Hardy. They, you know, it always keeps coming back to, yeah, but what if that started happening to people who looked like us? That would be the true end of the world. <laughs> Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to Jason Pargin for just soul searching about the games we play and the movies we watch, man. Like, we have both racked up a body count virtually, and uh, maybe you have to. It's okay. You just want to think about it. You know what I mean? And while you're thinking about it, why don't you dive into our food notes, where you will find a ton of extras about the cultural touchstones we pulled apart today. And one of my favorites is a Washington Post article about Top Gun, the movie that changed the way all movies are made if stuff blows up in them. They get into exactly how that movie got to use aircraft carriers and fighter jets at a cost of $1.8 million, which is nothing. And then in exchange, the Pentagon got to line edit the script to the point where they changed how Goose dies, spoiler, and it's become a budgeting factor for basically every other movie that gets made. Speaking of the Pentagon, I'm also going to link to a video I did for Cracked about the Joint Strike Fighter, which is one of the many things that we will spend all of the money in the world on militarily while not spending money on, I don't know, prevention and food. And we will in particular link to an episode I did with Charles C. Mann of this podcast, who has written the book 1491, also the book The Wizard and the Prophet. At the end there, we were talking about apocalypses and whether we can feed everyone and give everyone water. That episode is all about the challenges we face, but also the many, many ways we can pull that off. And speaking of amazing people, thanks to all of you who came to our live podcast this past weekend. Had a really good time talking celebrities. That'll be in the feed soon. In the meantime, we are back at UCB Sunset on Saturday, May 12th. So mark that on your calendar. And as far as this episode goes, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. Our episode was engineered by Sam Kiefer and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media. A technology. Full stop. You can find my Twitter account at Alex Schmitty. I'm also on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. And I'm happy to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcasts. So how about that? Talk to you then. Brought to you by Archer Danger Island. 
Watch Archer navigate the mysterious and deadly world of Danger Island as an alcoholic seaplane pilot in the all-new season of the FXX animated comedy, Wednesdays at 10, starting April 25th on FXX. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.